The following is a lesson in a series on life, liberty, and property brought to you by Republic Keepers and is presented and discussed by the Attorney General of the Republic State of Texas, Chaplain Raymond. This lesson discusses a book by the same name, Life, Liberty, and Property, written by Charles A. Wiseman, of which can be purchased at his website, seek-info.com, at amazon.com, or small bookstores such as Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. The ISBN number for this book is 0-966-8921-9-4. Life, Liberty, and Property is an educational series for sovereign souls on the dry land, and the information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domicile status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles document on republickeepers.com. We hope you enjoy this lesson on life, liberty, and property. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I appreciate your indulgence with this. The first estate is the term that we're going to be using, and the purpose of studying this book and this presentation is to help us to acquire enough knowledge to begin to self-govern ourselves as our government was structured back in the late 1700s. The first estate is made up of people like you and I, we the people, and today we're going to begin a study showing what's involved in self-government. First of all, we have a body politic united, which is made up of sovereign souls on the land who have entered into a pledged compact with each other, pledging to be electors, jurists, candidates, and members of the militia as necessary while pursuing the goal that is neither lawless nor violent and dedicated to the Constitution and ratifying of the three Republican forms of government. Souls on Board Since Homeland Security has reserved the use of the word sovereign for use by the de facto corporation, after making the de facto corporation a replica of the European style of sovereignty, which we'll talk about in a minute, where we the people are subjects of the government. They also made it a crime to declare oneself as a sovereign in the District of Columbia. We recommend the use of the sovereign soul on the dry land when explaining our political status. Did you know that the de facto corporation has a real a name for a real human being? This name was discovered when looking at the manifest handed from the aircraft crew to the ground personnel when an aircraft is out of the chocks and getting ready to leave the gate. And that document is called Souls on Board. So real people are souls on board means that there is an established governing law. 
We are pursuing a goal that is neither lawless nor violent. We're utilizing that governing law. It is this law that is the subject matter of this course. And it has been in effect before 1000 AD, so even before this country came into being. It is known as the fundamental law and is referred to by many as the unwritten constitution. The fundamental law, i.e. the unwritten constitution, in its most active form is called the law of the land and due process of law. And it is set out in chapter 39 of the Magna Carta, which again preceded our tradition of the Now, there are two forms of ecclesiastical sovereignty. American-style ecclesiastical sovereignty says we, the people, are the principles. The government offices are the agents, and the people are sovereign souls on the land and administer the law of the land, i.e., we, the people, establish the government. European-style ecclesiastical sovereignty states that the government offices are the principles and that the people are wards or subjects of the government, and the government is the sovereign and administers all laws, and that was evidenced with the hierarchies of kingdoms, monarchies, etc. Now, the first state logo here captures what we've talked about up to this point. We the people of the first estate, and it shows that our basis is under the maxims of law, the oath of the candidates, the authority of law, and the redress of grievances. And that from we the people of the first estate are drawn candidates for elected office, electors to elect them, grand juries to ensure the completion and carrying out of the law, as well as the sheriff and the militia. Forms that are used to establish sovereign people on the land, sovereign souls, include the Declaration of Sovereign Rights held by indigenous power, and the Declaration of Intent to Assemble and Adhere to the Standards of a Jurist. When we do so, we establish the first estate of Comel County, Texas, as an example. Congregation 1-1 of the Texian Choral Society, and Congregation TEX 1-1 of the National Jural Society. Jural societies are fully nested. In other words, the body politic from which these four levels of jury are drawn is the same body politic, the same group of people. For example, Anderson County First Estate Jural Society would be two as an example. The First Estate Region, again, would be one, and therefore the Texas Jural Society is 1-2, and the National Jural Society 
would be TEX1-2. Now the first estate diagram shows the random relationships of sovereign soul, souls domiciled on the land in a county. And as you can see, there are the four elements again, the militia pool, the candidate pool, the jury pool, and the electoral pool. And the pool meaning a group of people who are sovereign on the land. The first estate of county is also a jural congregation in the Texas Jural Society and a jural congregation in the National Jural Society. And again, that's referring back to where I said they were nested. The first estate is established by formal compact between sovereign souls. We peacefully and lawfully assemble in order to form a more perfect union establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for our posterity. We establish county grand juries and provide a jury pool to the state and national grand juries as well. We pledge to protect and defend each other and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinance, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good. And so delegates limited power to the Republican form of governments at county, state, and national are via ratified constitutions until each sovereign soul promises all due submission and obedience. Now there are four grand juries that you see right here, the county grand jury, the Texas state grand jury, the Texas national district grand jury, and the national grand jury. The key element in the enforcement of the county grand jury efforts is, in fact, as you see there, the county sheriff. Now, you see also the county government. There is a separation of power between those two. The county sheriff is responsible to we the people, not to the county government. The Texas state grand jury affects both county government and the Republic state of Texas and there's a flexible separation between those two. The Texas national district grand jury deals again where there's a separation of power between the Republic state of Texas and the Republic for the United States and the national grand jury deals with issues at the national level. Relationships of county first estate to sovereign souls, the sheriff, four grand juries, and three established governments are fully established in this one diagram. I would encourage you to print it off. Thank you. My name is Chaplain Raymond. 
just a brief introduction. All of the things you've seen before are the preparatory um, explanation of the environment in which the laws we're going to be covering or the principles we're going to be covering apply. Now, this is a category of information that I find that has been omitted. It has been omitted from my education, and, uh, and it's my education started a long time ago. I was in the first grade in 1939, and Memorial Day is quite a thing for me because it was just at a very ripe age that I witnessed lots of things regarding the Second World War and then participated in Korea directly. Now, but there are things that were known and understood and fought for many times over before we ever had our chance to fight for them. And so we will be covering life, liberty, and property. The struggle has been for years, for centuries. The difference between those men that feel they know best for, uh, for your life, for your liberty, and for your property, that they know better than you do what's best for your life, your liberty, and property. And this struggle has existed um, much longer than, than I really understood until we got into this. So now what I've got here is the cover of the book that we'll be studying. In the invitation that was sent to you, information was given about where you might find this book. Now the book has quite a long name here. Life, Liberty, and Property. The scope and nature of our fundamental rights has secured by and recognized under due process and the law of the land. It would not hurt to memorize that and say that. In a study of life, liberty, and property is to study the scope and the nature of our fundamental rights as secured by and recognized under due process and the law of the land and a right given to us by the Magna Carta. Now, let me just cover the things on the back of the book. Hopefully, I just want to make sure I know you've heard it. The subject of this book examines the meaning behind the phrase life, liberty, and property and its role in our history. The rights of life, liberty, and property entail all that is important in our earthly life. Thus, all political conflicts between people and their governments have centered around this concept. Now, you can learn what due process of law and the law of the land really mean 
in regards to the protection of your rights. Now, the next thing I believe wholeheartedly, it says it so well. It must be remembered that one who does not understand the law does not understand his rights, and is thus no better off than one who has no rights. As it has been said, none are so hopelessly enslaved as those who falsely believe they are free. Just a story. The principles of justice would seem to require that the law should administer its benefits to those who are vigilant in exercising their rights and not to those who sleep over them. If a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. That's Thomas Jefferson. The contents of this book cover some critical, legal, and historical information needed to reestablish your rights and the political foundations which are being destroyed. That brings it now to a contemporary need. So, in this particular, there is the ISBN number that is can be used. The instructions are there, so you can order it over the Internet. Uh, you can get it from uh, Brave New Books. Uh, they could use the business. They do a good job of keeping up with whatever we need there. Now, <clears throat> This is the picture from the book. This is the copyright in 1994, the second edition in 95. This is done by Mr. Charles A. Wiseman, and he is a Judaic um, lawyer in the history of Judaism or the law of the Bible. Now, it's published by Wiseman Publications in Burnsville, Minnesota. Again, there's the ISBN. Here's a picture, a, a modern painting of King John signing the Magna Carta. But in what we're going to be covering, and we'll cover it in this order, there's some something I got to where I want first, and, uh, but I this order. We're going to talk about the basics of life, liberty, and property, definition, and the origin of law. We're going to talk about the law of the land, the nature of it, Magna Carta and English law. And then we're going to discuss confirmation of the Magna Carta. If somebody says it's old and ancient and doesn't apply anymore, you'll find that the principles related to life, liberty, and property were tested continually. And it, many times during the history in England, the whole government in England all confirmed the validity of the Magna Carta. 
then we have the American version because we have the American style of sovereignty, not the European style of sovereignty. The land belongs to the people. Now, the political conflict over liberty, this is one of the most untaught and least understood areas of how many times man and the people have risen up to defend their rights and life, liberty, and property. And invariably, as time has gone on, they've succeeded time and time again. And it is the source of the expression law above government. We are going to be learning the law that is above the government. One hint, given that it's the law above the government, there can be nothing put in a constitution by we, the people, that violates that law. So it's the constitutions are not totally flexible. There are limitations on what can be in there. We have the religious aspect of life, liberty, and property. The theological war against liberty. And so on. American due process doctrine. And how it goes on. Due process under the common law. Number seven. Limitations on the legislative power. When you combine this awareness and this knowledge with what we've learned about juries, you now understand what self-government is. Protections of fundamental rights, land rights and ownership, and so on. Anyway, that's what we're going to be doing. Now, uh, We're going to start right into it. It's very quiet at this end, and I hope you all are still there. Are you still hearing me? Anybody out there want to respond, Chuck, Joe? Yes, we're here. Can you hear me? Okay. Well, I'll have to assume you're still there. Bill Chastain, can you still hear me? Yeah, we're we just got unmuted, so we can answer you. I just un I just unmuted you. I'm going to mute you back. Thank you. The basics of life, liberty, and property. We start here in this manual, in this book, with the definition of life, liberty, and property. The subject of life, liberty, and property is a subject which every living person should have the deepest concern for. It is a topic which all persons should understand since our daily human existence continually depends 
of what this phrase means and represents. What then is meant by this phrase of life, liberty, and property, and what does it include? Well, the term obviously relates to certain rights, that is, rights which are regarded as inalienable, fundamental, or God-given rights. As such, the concept and meaning behind this phrase goes beyond constitutions and bills of rights, whereas it is often used, wherein it is often used. The underlying principle of life, liberty, and property has been the basis of most revolutions, political upheavals, and rebellions throughout history, both lawful and unlawful ones. The phrase not only has legal and political connections in significance, but religious ones as well. The manner in which this subject is viewed by the established religion, society, and government will have a profound effect on the freedom, prosperity, and happiness of the individual. The actual meaning behind the phrase life, liberty, and property is quite broad and comprehensive, covering all known rights. Let us examine the legal interpretation of each aspect of this phrase. Life. The term life refers not just to biological existence, but to other aspects of life as well. The following quote by Justice Steele in 1877 is one definition of this term to be considered. No person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. By the term life, as here used, something more is meant than mere animal existence. The inhibition against its deprivation extends to all those limbs and faculties by which life is enjoyed. The provision equally prohibits the mutilation of the body by the amputation of an arm or a leg or the putting out of an eye or the destruction of any other organ of the body through which the soul communicates with the outer world. The deprivation not only of life, but of whatever God has given to everyone with life for its growth and enjoyment is prohibited by the provision in question. Now, notice that that extends to cover liberties, and properties. Our right of life includes every aspect of our bodies, limbs, health, and mental well-being. It thus includes our right not to be subject to physical injury, disease, pain, or mental anguish. It includes the right to health and to maintain it by being free of hazardous substances that may diminish it. In short, all that is necessary to maintain normal physical and mental functions is part of life. Liberty. By the term liberty, more is meant than the right of freedom of movement. The following quote from the law text gives one definition of this term. 
Liberty means not only the right of the citizen to be free from the mere restraint of his person, as by incarceration, but the term is deemed to embrace the right of the citizen to be free in the enjoyment of all of his faculties, to be free to use them in all lawful ways, to live and work where he will, to earn his livelihood in, by any lawful calling, to pursue any livelihood or avocation, to enter into all contracts which may be necessary and essential to his carrying out of a successful conclusion the purposes above mentioned. Liberty thus refers to our right to use our limbs and property in any lawful manner or to go where we may choose as our judgment may dictate for the promotion of our life and happiness. It includes our freedom to worship, our right to privacy, or to follow any lawful business or trade. In short, liberty is the freedom to engage in any right. Property. This term includes the obvious physical or tangible things such as tools, cars, houses, furniture, food, merchandise, land, minerals, natural resources, and animals. But it can also include intangible things as well. Thus, property also includes the following. A contract is property to the parties involved. A transferable award License, coupon, or ticket is property. A name, reputation, or goodwill is property. The labor of an individual is property. A person's business, profession, trade, or occupation, and all fruits from them constitute property. A bequest and a will is property to the beneficiary. Money, stocks, patents, copyrights, and trademarks are property. Property is essentially everything which has an exchange of value. The pride of property includes the power to own and possess the property, to dispose of it according to the will of the owner, and to sell it or give it away as a gift. It is said that property is older than governments and was a right given by God in the command, Thou shalt not steal. We thus see in this phrase, life, liberty, and property is in essence a summation of all that is important to us in the physical world in which we live. Everything that can be regarded as something necessary or valuable to physical mortals, beings on earth, can be categorized under the phrase life, liberty, and property. The right of life, liberty, and property also includes the right to protect 
each aspect it represents of harm, injury, devaluation, or destruction. This then lays the foundation to understand the conflicts, wars, and upheavals throughout history for whoever controls the aspects of life, liberty, and property controls everything that is important and valuable to man. Life, liberty, and property are so related that the deprivation of any one right may lessen or extinguish the value of the others. Let me repeat that. Life, liberty, and property are so related that the deprivation of any one right may lessen or extinguish the value of the others. They are co-equal in nature. Thus a man has as much right to work as he has to live, to be free or to own property. Let's go into the historical origin of the law. Rights and laws go hand in hand, and the source of our rights are to be found in the source of the law. And the source of the law is to be found in history. And if you remember, source is a very significant piece of information in the technical uh, determination of authority of law. To better understand the phrase of life, liberty, and property, we need to know from where the law that is based upon was derived and how it is a part of our Anglo-Saxon history and common law. When jurists and legal scholars make attempts to determine what the law is in a particular case, they invariably look to history for what the law is, as well as its meaning, intent, and proper application. Law is intrinsically connected and related to history and historical events. When Moses delivered the law of God to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, this historical event had significance regarding law to this day. The relationship between law and history is well stated in the following excerpt. The student of law in our times has come to recognize the fact that law is, in a sense, a branch of history and is to be studied in a historic spirit and by a historic method. And as the student of law recognizes the relation which exists between law and history, so also the student of history comes to recognize that a certain relationship subsists between history and law. Law is often the product of long-continued existence and application of customs or religious concepts. To have a true understanding of law in its proper meaning and application, one must be willing to go back to earlier times to study the origin and reason for the legal principles involved. 
when our founding father, James Wilson, gave America its first series of law lecture, lectures at the University of Pennsylvania in 1790, his theme was the development of the legal code and philosophy which reflected the American experience. Wilson stated, law should be studied and taught as a historical science. Now I take, I want to mention a side here. Given that statement, I must remind you that this has been omitted from all of our education. Law is thus more than a study of the history of our own country, but other nations as well. The great mass of our legal conceptions and principles have been brought from across the Atlantic from early England, and in many cases from a still more distant home. Law, like religion, language, or culture, is a matter that is often quite unique to a specific race of people. Thus, tracing back the origins of the common law is a matter that involves tracing the history of the Anglo-Saxon people, the origin of which we call Anglo-Saxon law, or the common law, did not originate in England. It originated with the Germanic tribes in the first centuries of the Christian era. It was not until the Germanic tribe, Saxons, migrated into England in the 5th and 6th centuries that the common law was practiced there. It was these Saxons who established the law we know as the common law in England. Thus, the first germs of England's constitutions and laws can be traced to the home of the Saxon people in the German forests. Now, the English jurist, Sir William Blackstone, wrote in his commentary, commentaries that the law's basic principles should be traced to their fountains, to the customs of the Britons and Germans, as recorded by Caesar Tacitus, and to the codes of the northern nations on the continent, and more especially to those of our Saxon princes, to the rules of the Roman law, and, a, and above all, to the inexhaustible reservoir of legal antiquities and learning, to the law of nations in our western orb. It is the Germania of Tacitus which contains the most circumstantial account of the legal and political institutions of the founders of the English nation. We thus find that the English law, as well as many of its institutions and language, are almost purely of Teutonic origin. In the life of the ancient Germanic tribes, we find the germs of many of the later English and American institutions. The political unit was the village community, with its system of local self-government. Each community stood apart 
free and distinct from the others, except when they banded together against a common enemy. Among the most prominent characteristics of these demonic tribes was their intense love of liberty, frequently going to war to prevent subjection or control by others. Here, then, is the foundation of the law and principles behind life, liberty, and property. I am on page eight. Are there any more pages, Chuck? No, there's not. Does that conclude the lesson for today? Yes, sir.